one of the things that makes this country so great and so wonderful is its diversity. We have a rich mix of culture and language and beliefs that, that highlights the, the wonderful things about a country made up of immigrants. I make no doubt about it, this is a nation of immigrants. But the last 20 years have seen no major immigration reform, even as the world changes around us. My guest today is immigration attorney Tamina Watson, who has some great ideas and, and strategies for helping fix some of the issues that are happening at our borders. This is the Better America podcast. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Better America podcast. I'm your host, Billy Hatridge, and with me today is Tamina Watson. She is an immigration attorney there in Seattle, and Tamina, it is so wonderful to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, Billy. I'm very grateful. So immigration is definitely something that a lot of Americans probably don't think about until it kind of comes up in the news, and with the border crisis that we have going on, or um, I don't know, it seems like it's lost a a lot of the attention in the media recently, but we do have an immigration with some, with some, we have an issue with mm -hmm. some of the immigration problems in this country. And so I wanted to bring you on and kind of have you talk about that for a little bit. So why don't you introduce yourself, kind of explain who you are, what you do, and you know, your journey towards, towards being an immigration attorney there in Seattle. Sure. Well, I'm an immigration attorney in Seattle. My law firm is called Watson Immigration Law. I'm an immigrant as well, if you haven't tuned into my accent. I moved here when I got married to my American husband, um, but I was born and raised in the UK, London, and went through the immigration process to get my green card and my citizenship. Um, and I was a lawyer in the UK, what's known as a barrister, a trial lawyer. And I had to essentially retrain and take exams all over again to become a lawyer here and I fell into immigration immigration really wasn't my first choice I sort of kept running away from it even though it kept chasing me and then it's almost like I had to succumb to it and then I thought wow this is of course what I'm supposed to do in life no wonder it was chasing me but this, from day one I just fell in love with the the topic it's it's so fast moving unlike other areas of law where you're pushing an issue and uh, you know working on a case you never see the end of it immigration comparatively speaking is fast moving because you you see the case from beginning to end maybe in a couple of years if you're lucky who knows what the future is going to hold uh, but you also are making a very real impact in somebody's life it's either their loved ones or their livelihoods and uh, you know it's if my, my practice primarily is business immigration which means businesses are either hiring um, high-skilled employees or people are investing in businesses to open businesses and create jobs I do help loved ones um, you know parents children uh, spouses and I also help with citizenship what I don't do is go to immigration court um, I did that initially for a little while but I have little children and it became very difficult to manage the kids as well as court and other things however in the last two years I have started a nonprofit that helps uh, with this aspect of the passion that I have in making sure that people have uh, representation and that nonprofit is called Washington Immigrant Defense Network where we train non-immigrant lawyers to assist immigration lawyers and they give pro bono assistance to um, detained immigrants who are facing trial and the non-profit actually funds those trials so that's a snapshot of me um, in the last four years, uh, three and a half years, you know, as Billy's mentioned, immigration has definitely been a key issue. And in the last three years, I've sort of stepped up and tried to see what does the community need? How can we provide immigration assistance? And that's been a lot of my, you know, time where my day job is juggled with my night job of doing a lot of community work. Awesome. And I think that is important for us to, as Americans to understand that, you know, we are a nation of immigrants. Um, and, you know, those immigrants aren't always white Christian. Um, 
Europeans who came in in the beginning, but that our country was very much founded on this principle of like, this is a nation for you, wherever you are, or wherever you're coming from, that, that we want you here, that we want the diversity, that we want the different, the differing beliefs and viewpoints. And that even as we grow as a society and we feel like we're kind of getting packed in a little bit, that there's still room to grow and that there's still room for more people who want to come to this nation. Um, my personal belief is that as long as we're a nation that people want to come to, that means we're doing, we're doing a pretty good job. Um, and so, do you mind just kind of talking about kind of the history of, of immigration? Um, I know that's a rich uh, that you can probably sure. talk about for a day, but but just to kind of let our listeners know um, kind of that process, who maybe weren't as familiar as with immigration. Sure, and and I will I will say that you know I'm not a history buff, but I had to learn right. the history uh, a little bit. And you know when and, and I will you know put out for your listeners and viewers to know that there is a a. a, a history channel documentary called the story uh, america the story of us it's um 15 episode series i'd say and while the history channel talks about history of america itself as an immigration lawyer i couldn't help but look at it from an immigration perspective and it was very educational for me and you know with the imagery that it had it's a good binge watching item believe it or not as documentaries go especially during these covid-19 situations but i will say you know america started with people coming from uh, the uk and coming on boats and you know creating jamestown and you, that initially um, started the people coming in and as people were coming in more and more and these small towns uh, essentially were trying to you know figure out how do we um, you know, keep boundaries, you know, the issue of immigration and, and the sentiments that we have now are not new. They've always existed to some extent. And so in, in those very early days when these small towns were having people come in, they were re finding reasons to not have people in. And so they were looking at, do you have good moral character? Are you a prostitute? Do you have sickness, you know, a, a communicable disease? And in those days, it was um, leprosy you know, uh, uh, those types of things. And laws sort of evolved from that, you know, um, who do we want and who do we not want and how do we create these laws? In, in, and, and, you know, I mentioned this documentary because as I, I was writing a book uh, in 2013-14 after immigration reform failed and I really needed to learn history. And the startup visa, that my book is called The Startup Visa, actually. Uh, but the, the story of us really had a very nice depiction of how this was going as I had the history book next to me. And so that's why I advocate for that um, documentary. And, and so, you know, how the East of America and the West of America sort of joined, it really did come together because of the rail tracks. But who created those rail tracks? Right. Who put them down? It was the people from Asia who did that, you know. And then, but once the rail tracks were there and we didn't need these folks anymore you know there was the Chinese Exclusion Act you know and so there there were various ways in where immigration was trying to be um, you know constricted and uh, in, in there was the 1920s of immigration quota you wanted quotas so that white people could really come in and the quota was sort of really created such that you know people from Asia were excluded and so fast forward to the 50s and 60s you know it was realized that immigration really isn't uh, as uh, it's a necessary thing for this country and so um, in 1960s, family unity was very important. And the, the immigration bill of 1965 came along. And that's really focused on um, family, but it also really created the system that we have today, where we have categories of employment-based um, immigrants as well as family-based. And there is a notion out there that you can, you can uh, apply for anybody in your family, your aunt, your grandma, your cousin. Those are not true. There is a fallacy out there about who you can uh, apply for and it's very much um, ch changed the narrative to some extent about who is uh, sponsorable if that's a word but you can only sponsor your parents your children and your siblings your immediate family nobody else and in terms of employment based that's when the specialty occupation definitions came in about high skilled immigrants 
relevance. If you have a degree that matches a job, you can come in. But also the lower skilled, not that there's anything low skilled about agriculture, but the, 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 the skills that we need for picking apples and catching salmon, uh, these types of uh, visas, they were all created in the 60s. And, and remember, technology has evolved a million times over since the 60s. The way business operates has evolved in the modern day world. Globalization has made the world smaller. And so the 60s laws that we have don't really fit with the 2020 system, the world that we live in. And for, for at least a decade or two, We've needed immigration reform as a complete overall overhaul on, on what it is, uh, what it should be. And that's where things really get stuck. We really haven't had a new law since 1996. And that was the Clinton law, which really um, essentially allowed, um, it created a bar where people were criminalized for coming into the US. And what that did, it had inadvertent, unintended consequences, where now when you see these 11 million people who are undocumented, the reason that they are here is the moment they leave, they cannot come back. Yet there are lots of lots of uh, people who have families who are U.S. citizens, uh, spouses, and children, and these mixed-status families don't really have a good solution. But that's that's the last real thing that we had, and what we need now is comprehensive immigration reform. One of the things that happens, and people ask me, well, why don't we fix this particular issue? Why can't we just fix it? And the trouble is that your ankle bone is connected to your knee bone, that's connected to your hip bone, and so forth. If you try to fix one little thing, it's not going to necessarily fix the problem. It's just going to make a different thing lopsided. And you, again, have unintended consequences for that. So uh, that's the summary I can give you of where we are today. But what we really need is comprehensive re immigration reform. You cannot solve the border problem, the agricultural problem, the H-1B problem, the DACA problem without looking at everything in isolation and where, I, I mean, together. And when you take one issue to Congress, what happens is they cannot agree on anything. Right. That's something that I think a lot of people need to be aware of is how, how interwoven immigration is to every aspect of society. Um, there was an NPR Planet Money episode a while back about the, the migrant problem in agriculture um, due to the COVID-19 response and us closing our borders and not being able to get workers into our fields to get us our food. Uh, and that's not something that a lot of people understand that is a big part of our agricultural community, um, as well as the DACA recipients as well as a lot of families who are just trying to come into this country because it's a better place for their children. I'm, I'm a school-based OT. I work in special education classrooms, and I've had students who, you know, were on the spectrum or, or had a different kind of developmental disability, and their parents were undocumented. And that's part of the reason they came to this country was so that they could get an, get an education. And they kind of live in that state of fear of, like, we can't really do a whole lot. We're just stuck until you know, we can get this kid educated. And there are a lot of big problems, but in, in your, in your work and in your field, what are some of the, the big overarching issues or concerns that you have with immigration that need to be addressed? Um, you know, I will address that in one second, but one of the things that comes to mind to share is that we are all connected. And if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it, it is how connected we are. How can a little tiny virus in Wuhan, China, come and, you know, infect the entire world? That is evidence that we are connected. And in that same way, all of us humans, and we're taking America just, you know, as a, as a country alone, because that's what we're talking about today, we are connected. And when we sit at home because we're under lockdown, the only place that we're really allowed to go or have been allowed to go in the last three months is the grocery store. And when you go to the grocery store and you're seeing the fresh apples, the fresh produce, how are you getting that there? All the logistics involved really do involve a lot of immigrants. And so just like you mentioned, people come, can't come here and pick our food. Those are the people who are really picking foods. And when you talk to farmers, they will tell you they can't get workers to pick the food. You know, and so if, 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 if that is a concern, just look at your daily life. The other thing that I, I have noticed that I'm, I'm a mother of two, my children are 10 and eight, and, you know, and I'm also a business owner, so I'm, I'm 
operating business with, you know, a, a great, fantastic team of, you know, um, lawyers and staff, um, paralegals, and uh, I have clients. How do you operate a business? You know, it, when you are stuck at home and you are absolutely 110% reliant on technology, how is that technology working? You know, we're all sitting and just doing Zoom here, but the Zoom founder uh, is an immigrant. Um, you know, when you are doing email and Slack and WhatsApp and what have you, all of these, are oper a, a big portion of these are operated by immigrants. These are the invisible hands, I'm calling them at the moment, because we are seamlessly getting through our day, or maybe sometimes not seamlessly if your internet cuts out. But it's, you know, high-skilled immigrants are actually looking at them. So this is a moment in time to recognize the people who are doing the agricultural work and the technology work are all intertwined in helping our daily lives be smooth. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I do want to make sure that that's aired. So, one of, so what are the problems? In the last three and a half years, we've had an administration that has very much been about um, nationalism and also, um, you know, we don't want people coming into our country. And what, but what you said, right? Right at the outset is we are a, a, a nation of immigrants and immigrants really do make us richer if you think about the you know the food and everything if, I, if you think about shopping now Nordstrom is closing down but Nordstrom the founders are immigrants you know if you think about the headsets that we're using they're Samsung and Bose uh, these are foreign company you know Bose is actually an Indian immigrant in the US who created this American company. You know, if you think about jeans, Levi's jeans, he was an immigrant. Some of these very basic things that we take for granted as American items are actually founded by immigrants. And I would very much encourage people to, to read my book. You know, I don't, and it's here. Uh, it's called The Startup Visa if you can read it. And you don't necessarily read to have to read the whole thing. It's very small. But the first chapter really is a summary of immigration and all these immigrants who've come here and made our nation richer. Um, and so the problems that we have is, again, going back to nothing fits the modern day world. And what has been um, uh, exacerbated by this administration is creating rules that um, already take a very broken system and make it more difficult. So if you speak to uh, employers who are trying to get um, high-skilled immigrants, they will tell you over and over again that they cannot find them. I have one particular client who is in the technology world, and they say every day they're trying to hire people even in COVID-19 situations. And they get hundreds of applications actually, but only maybe five of them are interviewable. You know, you, they, can't, they don't have the skills they need for interviewing. And once they interview somebody and give them tests, they can possibly hire just one or two, but they happen to be immigrants. And one of the things that people need to know is, you know, in the news, people are hearing about H-1B and they often hear about Indian, um, you know, engineers. India had a very strategic education system just before, you know, um, 2000, when we all thought Y2K was going to, you know, destroy the world. Right. Uh, and, and that has really helped them create a generation of people with these types of high skills, um, you know, backgrounds that are sought after around the world. It's not just America needs them. It's the, the, the entire world needs them. But what you said was invaluable, that as long as people want to come here, we're doing something right. And, you know, people want to come here because, you know, America is the symbolism of freedom and rights. And, you know, if you can work hard here, you can actually make something of yourself. And those are not little things because they have come with a lot of fighting and a lot of, um, you know, hard work by our founding, uh, you know, fathers of America that had a vision for America. And that's the America that we still want to see. It's, it's some of these notions that have gone in that, you know, uh, have cause these sort of um, divisive attitudes about what immigrants really are. So big, big picture problems. We want to take care of what's happening with the undocumented folks. We want to take care of what's happening with the high skilled immigrants. We want to take care of uh, and have solutions for people who are, are lower skilled. One of the things that you will hear if you haven't heard it already, this was a problem before COVID-19 and I haven't spoken to any real life stories, but I can imagine how that goes. 
nursing homes. If you think about nursing homes where, you know, our elder generation go and they need help, a lot of those care workers are immigrants. And if you think about what's happening with COVID-19, hospitals cannot, you know, uh, deal with the, the, the number of people that are going in, which is why we are being advised to wear masks. I think it's Houston, Texas that is getting to the critical point of not having enough beds and ventilators. Um, but, you know, nursing homes is, is, a, is an example of where, you know, care workers are absolutely needed, but there's no visa category for it. Um, the other thing that's a problem is not, not having enough green card numbers. If you now look at the hospitals, a large number of these doctors are foreign born, not just Indians, but from around the world. A lot of them can't get green cards because there is a, a backlog. A, a very real serious backlog where people have to wait decades to get their green cards and these high skilled visas keep them going. You know, that's a sort of like a, an underlying status. Um, and so, and then the family-based situation, you know, this administration has dubbed it as chain migration and that's been given a, a derogatory term, you know, but it's really like if you uh, in the US, would you not want your, it's better for your mental state, your emotional state, your, your children's, uh, you know, you want your family around you. There is intrinsic value to having your family around you. But we do need comprehensive immigration reform so that all of these things could be brought to um, a modern day um, need. And, uh, you know, what people might hear a lot in the news is we want merit-based immigration and there is merit to having merit-based immigration absolutely you know some of the systems that we have are, are you know I don't like them either but that's that's the law we have to work with them merit-based it can be a good thing but not in the way that has been proposed in the last three years the last three years have propositions of merit-based acts where they're really designed to not have people come in at all um, and if people are interested, in 2012, there was a bill for comprehensive immigration reform that came along and it did pass in the Senate. And in fact, nobody was happy with it, but it was a really good compromise. You know, both sides came together and came up with a bill where people gave and took you know, and it was the closest thing that we have had to comprehensive immigration reform for a very long time. It died in the House because it did not come up for a vote. But if people are interested in knowing what could be a good solution, that bill, uh, while there were lots of things that both sides wanted, it could have been something that people would have lived with. And it would have retweaked, re recreated re um, things that would have been useful for today. In today's um, world, where we have 44 million Americans without work, and they are now going to the, you know, getting unemployment, um, where are these jobs going to come from? You know, we need to create new jobs. We need to re revamp the economy. But the economy is you and me and, you know, your listeners. We are all the economy, but immigrants are part of the economy and they have to be a strategic part of it. One of the things that people don't appreciate is um, there is a bad rap for H-1Bs from this administration. That's the high-skilled visa. That is the primary visa for professionals. And... Um, but they, and that, those are the invisible hands that I'm talking about when right. I'll talk about technology. Um, but for each visa holder, there is a multiplier effect uh, on these types of people. If you are here on an H-1B visa, you're going to need a, a grocery store. You're going to need a laundromat, a cleaner, a gardener, you, know, you name it. You, so from one H-1B job, there are five non-professional jobs that are created. From those five non-professional jobs, there are two professional jobs that created because all of these people are going to need a doctor, a nurse, an accountant, and so forth. And so there is an intrinsic merit in, in revenue growth and economic growth from having immigrants. But immigrants are also job creators. If you think about um, uh, WhatsApp that was purchased by Facebook, if you think about, um, again, I talked about Nordstrom, but there are modern day ones as well. Um, my mind is going blank at the moment, many of them that have, you know, Elon Musk. 
you know, the most obvious person who has, he was an immigrant and he has created company after company, jobs after jobs. Those are the examples of what immigrants can do. And why do they create them? Because they're entrepreneurial. People don't necessarily want to leave their home countries. You know, they feel very, you know, there is very much like a pull about, I want to be in my country, but either they, there are many different reasons and climate change is one of them. You know, we have a lot of climate refugees in this country or people who are climate refugees who need somewhere to go. Um, but those people need to survive and they know that they they can't get a handout, so to speak. And they um, are very much about, you know, let's do something new. And so, but there is no visa for somebody who's starting a company, for example. But there is inherent merit in having immigrants. And if you look at polls out there, more Americans today appreciate immigrants than they have ever before. I think that's something that we need to be reminded of is that the immigration policies, like you said, the job seeking thing that we need high skilled people in this country because for every doctor that moves into town needs all of these other services um, that, that kind of support them. But I wanted to talk a minute about um, the undocumented immigration in this country. Uh, where I live about 30 minutes down the road, we have a community that is a very rich Hispanic um, culture. Uh, most of the state is very white or black, but we do have a very strong Hispanic culture. And in that they estimate there's anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 undocumented citizens within town. And that puts a strain on the city and on the schools because if they don't have an accurate count, you know, they can't get the grants, they can't get the money. And so the solution, I don't believe, is to kick these people out, but it's to allow citizenship and because they are contributing members of that society. They're working, you know, they're working at the farms, they're working somewhere and they're spending money, which is, you know, building back into the income because regardless of what you think about immigrants, if you live in this country, you're spending money when you go to the grocery store and buying food and, and investing in our society. And so what are some of the solutions that we have to, to help those who are in this country um, illegally or without documentation or whatever the preferred term is to help fix that? Because I think that's the biggest thing, biggest scare Americans have is over oh, the illegal immigration um, issue. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very valid question, and that is the debate what to do with them. But legalization truly is the best solution for the people who are already here. But one of the things that people need to know, and if you've touched on the heart of it, is the economy, how much impact they have. If you think about the social security funds that we have in this country, if we didn't have the contributions that the undocumented people have made, that, that fund would not be as large as it, as it is. But also remember that these people cannot access them. You know, in February 2020, just a few months ago, just before COVID-19 struck, the administration implemented a new policy called public charge. It's been, you know, that's been the, the short phrase for it. But public charge is really, we do not want anybody who cannot support themselves and are not self-sufficient. And the one of the rhetoric that's gone with that is these people are taking handouts and taking food stamps and so forth. Undocumented people are not eligible. You know, you can, even, even people with green cards are not always eligible for some of these um, benefits, uh, government benefits. So they're not actually taking money from the public purse at all. And, um, and so, uh, and the contribution that they make is what actually makes not just the grocery store and the economy keep floating, but one of the biggest issues really is our social security funds. If you think about you, me, when we retire, how much money really is going to be around for that? You know, that is a real concern that policymakers have. And so, you know, making sure that we are taking these people and, and legalizing them so that they can actually contribute above the table uh, properly, uh, that would actually be a really good solution. At the same time, when we have comprehensive re immigration reform, you can create rules that will have even stricter boundaries of what happens when you, when you do come in. You, you know, obviously life is about a balance, but there are people in the country, uh, you know, it's about 11 million. Um, and, and that's what we should really legalize at, at this point for, for, better, for the betterment of everybody. And one of the things that has been at the forefront of the news in the last few weeks is the dreamers. A lot of people came here as children. And, you know, whether it's because their parents wanted to just keep them alive, or give, you know, quite literally, 
you know, um, they're here. They didn't make that choice, but they're here. But for all intents and purposes, they're Americans. They're you, they're, you know, they're your friends and our friends. And often you don't even know that they're not documented because they walk, talk, speak, do everything that we do. And um, their contribution absolutely is incredible. You know, if you look at the numbers of, and they're generally referred to as DACA recipients, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival, um, they are contributing as teachers. They're contributing as um, a doctors. Uh, they're contributing uh, people in the medical profession. And if you look at those numbers, if we didn't have immigrants, whether they're high-skilled immigrants or they're DACA recipients, our medical system, I don't know where it would be. You know, I don't know where our high skilled, our, our technology field would be. I don't know where our, our education system would be without the technology that we've had to sustain it in the last three years. And so everything that you said, Billy, is spot on because they are making contributions and they are the future. These people are, that are, we have in our country, they are the future of our country. And, and this is what America looks like today. Like it or not, this is what we look like. And we need to have representation that looks like us. We need policies that look like us. And we need policies that help all of us grow. Because again, look at COVID-19, the virus affects the entire globe. We are connected. If one person does well, the other person does well. And if you have that mentality of our vibration, our good vibrations will surround and affect all of us. Uh, um, what is that phrase about a tide floats all, all boats? If we all do well, we all do well, essentially. And that's something that I think we all need to remember as, as Americans is that the country is for the people by the people. Um, you know, we, we, we open it up with we the people. Um, I, have, I have flags, I have a, a big love for our American flag, but for me, the flag doesn't represent our government or our politicians or our military. It represents you and me, uh, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what our heritage is, what language we speak. If we're here in this country, we're Americans and we are um, a part of that nation. And it's really important for, I think, a lot of people to understand that, like you said, we need representation that shows what our people look like. We need schools that understand what their student body looks like. We need congressmen and women who understand what their, their voting base looks like, or not even the voting base, the people they represent because they're not always voters, right? And so as a part of understanding immigration, and there are so many aspects of US policy that are in desperate need of an update. Um, you kind of touched on immigration, not really having a big reform since the, the, the late 90s. Uh, our special education rights, our ADA, those kinds of things are still kind of in the stone age in some regards because society has moved so fast, so quickly. And, and so I was wondering if, if you're an American who kind of wants to help with immigration policy or reform or says, yeah, this is something I can get behind. This is something that I think we need to do. What are some of the things that the average listener can do today or this week to kind of help with that? Um, that's a really good question, and thank you so much for asking. Uh, you know, calling your own representative, House representative, congressperson, uh, woman, man, uh, your senators, that is the single most important thing you can do because they need to hear from you. They, they, they need to make sure that they are doing what the people want, and often they hear from the naysayers because the naysayers are generally very loud. The, the people who want things, uh, we're going about our daily lives thinking, well, they know what I want, but they don't. So you've got, you've, got to, you've got to make sure that your representatives know. And so make a call, say, hey, you know, I want, I want you know, the, the dreamers to have a path. I want you know, my, my technology to con continue to work. I want you know, high-skilled workers here. Whatever your, your issue is, you don't have to fight for everything, but fight for whatever you believe in. That one, people are often one issue people and that's, that's absolutely fine because one little drop and they gather together and they make the ocean. So do your little part. The other thing that you can do is if you are a writer, for example, write about your opinions. Newspapers would love to have op-eds. Newspapers would love to have letters to the editor. Make your opinion known. You have a voice. Every single human being has a voice. And this is what's beautiful about America. We have freedom of speech. We can have our voices heard. Get your voice heard. No matter what your view is, have it heard. And that's the way you can make a difference. 
Awesome. That's, that's great. And that, that's a big part of it too. It's making sure your voice is heard and understanding that um, other people get to have their voice heard as well. I think that's a big issue right now is if it's a dissenting voice, well, we want to quiet those, but, but to have a, a, a government that is representative of its people, we have to allow those voices um, regardless of our own personal yeah. beliefs. And, you know, I was listening to um, uh, our congresswoman here in, in Seattle. Her name is Pramila Jayapal, the first Indian congresswoman in, in, in Congress. And she wrote a book and she did a, a, a town hall last night. And one of the things that she said that was very, very much resonated with me or I learned from it is that you don't have to agree on every issue. You know, and what will happen is a lot of people agree on 90% of the issues and they don't agree on one. But th that shouldn't stop you from moving forward because those nine things that you agreed on, you can actually do something about that. And so just because there is one issue that you do not agree on doesn't mean that you should dismiss that person, those voices, because you can still come together and make changes on those issues that you absolutely agree on. I agree 100%. We have a really bad habit of, of seeing one thing that we disagree on and think that we can't work together anymore because you believe this and I believe that. So that means that we're never going to come to eye on anything. And that's so far from the truth that, that we can have these conversations. Um, I wanted to switch gears again a little bit, talk about COVID-19 and the current state of immigration. Um, what does immigration look like right now? Are, are we, are we wow. hit pause on the whole thing or, or, or what's going on? We, we may if, if, if things go in the direction they're going. Well, COVID-19, so let's sort of have a little recap of what happened. So we have March come along and everything shuts down. And if you think about the world and if you sort of have a little image of like a cartoon sort of image, there's the globe and there's this America. People are coming here from here and here and people need to go out too. The trouble is that a lot of people who came as tourists, and I'm going to take them as categories, people who came as tourists couldn't leave anymore. And so uh, there are two types of tourists uh, in that there is all two types of visas. One is called um, ESTA, referred to as ESTA, where people have visa waiver, meaning they just waive their passport and they come in. That's from the UK or, you know, Australia, or, you know, some of the European countries. And uh, they can only stay 90 days. After 90 days, you cannot write any paperwork to stay here. You have to leave. Um, a lot of people got stuck. And then what do you do? So customs and border, and what do we mean by stuck? It means that the flights were grounded. Countries around the world had closed their borders. You are literally stuck, you know? And so those people got stuck here. There are people who came on visas called a B2 visa. And these people um, came to visit family or friends or tour, just tourism. Um, you know, you might remember President's Day was around that, that President weekend, and everything sort of shut down within a couple of weeks. So people were still traveling from different parts of the world and so people couldn't leave and so immediately the question is how can I leave the country and my visa is expiring so then you have to you know take we had to take a lot of action for those types of people at the same time a lot of people when you are a green card holder and you are um, living in the U.S. you are mandated to live in the U.S. for at least at least six months of the year you know, you are, you are establishing a re residence here. You've got to maintain that residence. People went outside the U.S. for business or, you know, work or, you know, family or whatever reason, tourism. They are now stuck outside and they can't come back. So immediately when you think of this sort of cartoon characters of, um, you know, I'm calling it cartoons because that's what I'm imagining like fast forwarding these images of people going in and coming out and they can't, they can't do it. They're sort of, they are stuck where they are. Those have brought different issues about how do these immigrants come back and how do we preserve their statuses. So that was an immediate issue that came up. And then came along the, the suddenly, you know, people are being laid off and what is going to happen to them when they're on immigrant visas. Um, and so th that was a different type of challenge. And what happened in April, time is a blur. But we yes. suddenly get one day a, a tweet at 7 p.m. in the evening by the president saying suspending immigration. And, you know, suddenly we didn't know what it meant. In my opinion is America's borders just should have shut down in, in the first week of March so that this spread wouldn't have happened 
you know, in and out at all. Not immigration wise, not saying this is immigration, we're just closing it because we need to contain this, this virus. That didn't happen. But what happened was COVID-19 was used as a vehicle to go to the uh, heart of the agenda of this administration. And so when we had that tweet, we didn't know what it meant. And the very, you know, two days later, that, that, that phrase that I mentioned that this administration made popular chain migration. He went straight to that saying, we are going to stop immigration for parents, siblings, and children that are old, older. But the reality was embassies had shut down around the world too. Nobody was giving interviews. Nobody was giving visas. So practically speaking, it didn't make a difference having that proclamation in writing. Uh, in, in what was going to happen because nobody was going to get a visa. But what COVID-19, it gave the administration the door, the opportunity to get to the agenda of closing immigration because what they will do is basically say, we now have it in writing and we're going to extend it even when the world opens up. And then a month later, just last week, there was a suspension of high-skilled immigration. Um, and these are people that cannot come in. It, you know, the president has the power to dictate, uh, not dictate, but, you know, make the, the, uh, the proclamation of who can come in. And so there is a particular section of the law that says you can use your, your authority to, for, for national interest issues, uh, you can close this. And this is how the travel bans have come along. But what has happened time and time again is that this president is using these external issues to get the immigration agenda accomplished. Uh, and so that's the thing that I don't disagree, I, I disagree with very strongly because this is as just as we mentioned, these immigrants are creating jobs at a time when we need immigrants to pick our apples and pick our, those tomatoes and the, the fruit that's going to go bad because this is the harvesting time when we're going to have the fruit on our table at the time when you're closing the borders for immigrants to come in and to keep, you know, COVID-19 is an unprecedented situation. None of us in our lifetime have encountered this. And when you are in desperate situations, you have to have desperate measures that are innovative, that find solutions, not clamp down and exacerbate the problem. And that's what COVID-19 has done for this administration. They've used it as a vehicle to exacerbate the problem. And so now one of the things that we're seeing, um, and that is going to happen very likely in the next few weeks, is that the immigration service, which is an essential service for the American, um, you know, economy, the country as a whole, it is possibly going to close down. And why, why is because they're saying they've run out of money. Now, USCIS, if you think about, um, I'm just going to draw a little, I doodle a lot to explain things, but there is um, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and um, it has three departments, USCIS. And so what there is, is there's, if, I don't know if people can see it, there's DHS yes. and there's three arms to it, CBP, ICE, and USCIS. CBP and ICE are generally funded by the government. I, uh, USCIS is a fee-funded organization. So every time an immigrant files for an application, <coughs> excuse me, they uh, pay a lot of money for it. You know, if to get citizenship, for example, it's about se almost $700. Um, and if you talk about those high-skilled immigrants, the employer, an American company has to pay, and uh, there are three different checks, 460, 500, and 750, or 1,500, depending on how large the employer is. And all of these fees are allocated for different things. The 460 is to adjudicate the form. The 500 is to investigate any fraudulent, suspicious issues. So the fraud department is being funded by that. And the 750 is generally referred to as the ACQUIA fee, American Competitiveness Act fee. And that fee is absolutely set aside for educating so it's the, these fees are you you know were thoughtfully done so that the money could be injected back into education in some way, um, but the four hundred and sixty. If you think about how much time it would take to adjudicate a case, if you think about what, how much time it would take for you to teach a student, for example, how far would four hundred and sixty go? And what has happened in the last three years is that the government has. Um, 
created more and more barriers and difficulties in getting these cases adjudicated. And they send what's called requests for further evidence, um, where they're asking more and more questions and they're spending more and more time on these cases. Um, public charge I just mentioned, when the government uh, said that we were, it was going to take four hours for these cases to adjudicate, that's not the case. It takes us 20 plus hours to prepare them. An adjudicator will not take four hours to do that. It will take much more. Um, when, the, when we're sending cases, the government in its in, people in, in the mailing room, you know, there are often forms where there are lots of empty lines in the forms. You know, what is your first name, your middle name, last name? You may not have a middle name. You have never been required to put anything in that little empty space. Yeah, but there, there are asylum cases, for example, in which there are empty spaces. And actually, it's trickled into different types of cases now, where if there's an empty space, they're rejecting the case, they're sending it back. And that all of these issues have compounded in how much time these staff, USCI staff members are spending, and now they're running out of money. So bad policy has truly killed the way in which USCIS as an, uh, as an entity should be operating. The other thing is there's no real leadership. There's acting director this and acting director that. Nobody is taking responsibility for where, how this, this agency should be run. So as of last week, it was announced, or the week before, time is a blur, that agency has said, we're going to have to furlough 73% of our staff if we don't get money from Congress. And Congress may or may not give that money. It was never intended to give money to this particular branch. Again, you know, there are three arms because it's fee funded. But if there is no fiscal responsibility, even if Congress were to give money, it, the problem will continue. So co COVID-19 has exposed problems as opposed to created problems. Um, and it's also been used as, as a vehicle, of course. So. Um, COVID-19 hasn't shut down immigration quite yet, but it's, it's getting to the point where it could be halted because we have travel ban, travel ban, travel ban, and USCIS is going to be shutting down. Oh, by the way, we have all these policies that have been issued in the last three years that are all exacerbating the issue, and it's all coming to a head. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's... It's bad, but it's good that it's being exposed because I think that a lot of Americans, they just want their country to work right. Yeah. It's ultimately, regardless of where you fall, you want your country to work right, and you have to have working immigration. Um, yes, you just have to. And so, um, that's a lot of really good insight on on the different types of immigration, the reason why we need it in this country. Um, we definitely need immigration reform. You know, even if you live in a part of the country where you don't necessarily see immigration on a daily basis, you're going to see the impact of it when your grocery store no longer has kiwis or tomatoes because they can't get migrants into the nation, and so a lot of this podcast is probably going to end up being contact your congressmen and women, uh, contact your representatives, because that's the best way that we can be that voice. And like Tamina said, all of us are guilty of thinking they, got, they know what I want. <laughs> they don't always know what they want. They, they know what the upset people want. So make sure your voice is heard. And um, I will, I will, I will mention one thing. Education is power. Knowledge is power. And I'm so glad that you're presenting this particular issue to your listeners. There is a website called The New American Economy. And they, have they, they work very hard to create reports. And there are some reports that are state-specific about immigrant contribution in your particular state. And wherever you live, you may find that that will be an eye-opener you know, I didn't know that our agricultural industry in Washington state is one of the highest in the country. And I didn't know the dairy industry, uh, you know, is one of the highest in the country in Washington state, but the 51% or more of their workers are immigrants. You know, if you think about the, the very basic products of milk, egg, bread, and, and groceries, as you mentioned, it's not just apples. It's not, it's just so right. much more than that. So read that, read that report for your particular state. And it's even narrowed down to, you know, counties as well. And so if you are truly interested in seeing what immigrant contributions are in your particular area, look at that report and then use that to voice your opinion and whichever issue you know, is closest to you. And, you know, we're in a, in a very um, interesting time in America in general. 
while immigration is um, uh, while immigration is very much uh, a topic that I am interested in, whether it's climate change, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, you know, you don't have to fight for immigration only if that's not your thing. But something is your thing. Right. Fight for that. Get your voice heard. You know, and that's what I will leave you with. Thank you, Tamir, for all of that. And I'm going to attach a link to this. I'm looking at it now, the New American Economy, uh, newamericaneconomy.org. It has it by cities, states, districts, um, all of the impact that immigration has on your area, because you would probably be amazed with just how, many, how much diversity is in your community. Um, Tamir, where can people find you? Do you have a websites, products, anything else that you would like people to check out? Yes, thank you so much for asking. My website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I also have a podcast. It's called Tamina Talks Immigration. I've had it for about four plus years, and it can be found on Spotify or iTunes, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I do have a book. It's called The Startup Visa, and this will give you some information about what we talked about and why a visa specifically for entrepreneurs are necessary. But I also have, um, I started a, a, a nonprofit with some amazing lawyers and it's called the Washington Immigrant Defense Network. And the website is called www.widenlaw.org and all of my contact information can be found on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for, for all of this insight. Um, it's something that I think a lot of Americans know is, is broken in this society. Um, it's our immigration and, and knowing what some of those solutions can be is, is enlightening and it's optimistic, I think. Um, I always look for the silver lining. I think that exposing some of these issues, having Americans more aware and more educated about the issues can help, can help with that. So I have one final question for you. What does a better America look like for you? That's such a profound question. Um, a better America looks, to me, utopia is what I would really love to have everywhere in the world. Uh, a better America is where everybody is treated with, uh, where they have equity and they have uh, all the things that they need to, to flourish, whether it's good health, good education. And as I said before, if we all do well, we all do well. And that's the kind of America I'd like to see. This has been the Better America podcast. To help this week's guest with their vision for a better America, be sure to check out the show notes or visit theotdad.com slash betteramerica to find out more about supporting their vision and policies. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this show wherever your podcast app may allow you. And always be sure to share the show with others. Thank you for listening and Godspeed.